Welcome, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of the Instant Recap Podcast from Land Grant Holy Land. I am here today joined by Justin Golda. Uh, for the first time, we have a basketball expert on this show. Uh, Justin, uh, introduce yourself. Welcome, everybody. Uh, here we go. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Chris. Super excited to talk about this last game we just watched because it was a fun one. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about the Carmen's Crew game against the Men of Mackey. This is old foes going up against each other once again. Carmen's Crew was able to knock off the Men of Mackey 80-69. to uh, After a slow start, they really got the ball going shooting. Uh, the lid got lifted off the basket in the second half, and they ended up outscoring the Men of Mackey quite a bit. Uh, so overall, how do you feel about the performance today? I just kind of want to get your opinion on it. Uh, the first half shooting struggles kind of were overcome. So how do you feel the Carmen's crew played today? Yeah, it was nice because, you know, they struggled on offense, as you said, in the first half, but they were able to make up for that on the defensive end and hold Menemaki to where they couldn't get out to any five or ten point leads. Because you knew the, the the lid was going to come off at some point. These guys can just—they're just very good shooters. So once that start, once that happened, they pulled away. And Men and Maggie just—it seemed like they never got into any type of groove. Kelsey Barlow didn't score till late in the third quarter. Isaac Haas just wasn't really a dominant factor. He was getting bullied by six-two Jeff Gibbs. I'm six-two, you know. So uh, it was fun to watch, honestly. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting for sure because I know coming into the game, one of mine and Jordan's worries uh, last week when, or Friday, I guess, that was not that long ago, was the size that the Meta Mackey was bringing with Haas, with Hummel, with a few of their bench guys, you know, and then we got the surprise information right before the game started that uh, I believe A.J. Hammond was playing today and he's another big that they threw at us. So overall i thought ohio state did a really good job on the defensive end kind of stifling those bigs kind of getting out in transition kind of keeping the mismatch is going throughout the game and i kind of think you once the lid got lifted off the basket they did a really good job of using our bigs to in the pick and roll to create space for our guys and getting them out on islands and they took advantage of it yeah you could say maybe they got a little bit lucky because aj hammonds ended up not playing um, you know, they said he was a little bit tight during warmup, so he didn't go. But, um, yeah. you know, I honestly don't think he would have made a huge difference. I mean, Jeff Gibbs looks like he's seven foot down there. Julian Mabunga has been an awesome addition for them. And, you know, Casa Kufis is just doing what we saw. We've seen him do his whole career. So, honestly, I don't, I don't think he would have made a huge difference. Um, I think the only thing would have maybe Isaac Haas looked a little bit dead at the end of the game. I think maybe would have had some fresher legs. But other than that, um, I think they just did a phenomenal job of, you know, we talked um, on the Bucketheads podcast. We talked to Joey Lane. Me and Connor Lamont talked to Joey Lane who is very involved in the TBT with inside the TBT. And we asked him that exact question. Um, what does he think Ohio State could do or Carmen's crew could do against those big guys? And he was like, look, at the end of the day, they're big and that's going to affect them on the offensive end, but they have to guard on defense. You know, Jeff Gibbs and Movunga and Kufis, they're just more athletic than Haas or Hammonds or whoever else. Hum, I mean, Hummel doesn't look – he looks like he's 34 out there, honestly. Um, so – you know, it, it was very nice to see them, you know, take advantage of where you can take advantage. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, honestly, for me, I think the Jeff Gibbs run at the half was kind of the difference in the first half for sure. Overall, I think you're right, though. I think the 
the bigs on men of Mackey kind of looked tired. They looked fresh. I, I remember Hummel took a three in transition, and you just saw that ball end up about a foot short because over like they were tired. They were getting work. They had to go out and cover space. The Carmen's crew made a lot of extra passes to keep them moving, and they did a great job of tiring out the legs. And I think you saw them take advantage of that later in the game, especially with the guards and the pick and roll. And I, I think Carbon's crew, this is what I've noticed the first two games is they're not going to dominate you in the first half. They're going to figure out what's working and they're going to make the adjustments and they're going to stick with a hot hand. And that was William Buford in the second half. In the first half, it was Mavonga and Gibbs. And they really just rode those guys to that point. Evan Ravenel had a big game as well. So, our bigs really outplayed the men of Mackey bigs, and I think that's something to be excited about moving forward in the tournament. Yeah, and it's something Carmen's crew has done their entire time in this tournament, even when they were scarlet and gray, is they just are deep. They're so deep. They can go to anybody. Keyshawn Woods is their last guy off the bench, and he had a great game. Phenomenal game, honestly. So yeah. it's, it's so nice to see they can just – there was a time where I don't think David Lighty played for six or seven minutes. He was getting that much of a rest. And when you can have those guys just cycling in and out, and that's what Dan Dockage brought up against Mid-Amer Community, was you could tell – during that second half, Mid-Amer Community was getting towards the end of their bench and they were kind of struggling with guys while Carmen's crew, they were cycling guys in and out and no one ever looked tired. And say, I mean, Aaron Kraft, he's barely playing 15 to 20 minutes. So he's staying fresh because we don't know what his legs are like. So it's Shannon Scott's been just yeah. an awesome addition for him just to give Aaron Kraft some time to just chill. Yeah, Shannon Scott was actually, he didn't shoot the ball very well, but he impacted the game in a lot of ways. Played really good defense on their guards, and that was something exciting to see from them. Uh, I mean, you could see the impact the guards on the defensive end made because you look at gains on men of Mackey, one for nine shooting. Jackson, the four, three of six shooting. Uh, overall, uh, James off the bench, two of nine shooting. They could not get anything going with their guards scoring the ball. Boudreaux, 0 for two. Uh, and it just showed because – uh, this is what I said on the last instant recap pod. You can see the Thad Mata fingerprints all over this team. It all starts on the defensive end, and the defensive intensity of Carmen Screw is so commendable for a tournament like this where you think it'd be a very offensive-oriented tournament, and they just put so much effort on that side of the ball that it creates such, such easy offense for them on that side. Yeah, and they just – it's like you said, especially early on in this game, like we kind of mentioned earlier, when they're struggling to hit shots, um, you know, everything was coming up a little short. Maybe they just didn't quite, you know, going from a Friday night game to a Sunday afternoon game. That's a This is a lot of energy spent. These are older guys. So, you know, maybe they were just didn't have the legs under them right away. But as you said, they were doing such a good job. This Manimaki team didn't score. And they could have came out and they could have gone yeah. out to some 10, 15-point lead at the half. And then it's a whole different ball game. But – they were able to stifle them, slow them down. Um, like I said, I mean, Kelsey Barlow finished with 18, but he was 5 for 16. I'll take that any day of the week. You know, so so they, they, they look fantastic. Yeah, I think one thing, I think they were shooting around 25% at halftime. So that just is a testament to how that game, that changed the game. Because like you said, it could have gotten out of hand. Ohio State's alumni team was not shooting the ball well. And over overall, I think the great effort defensively altered this game. And they played great defense from the first quarter until the end of the game, till the final whistle. 
So that's something that sticks with you. You know, you're not going to make every shot. You're not always going to be on hot streak shooting the ball. So that's one thing you could always bring and expect from Carmen's crew is high defensive energy. Yeah, and it was even during the Elam ending, they kind of they, they missed a couple good looks. And I know when Keyshawn Woods missed that corner three, you could see I saw Sully kind of put his hands up and he was like, oh, my God. But even then, Menemaki never made a run because they couldn't – Dan Dockage mentioned it. They were getting the stops, but they couldn't get a bucket. So um, it was – yeah. you know, I, I thought this game would be a lot closer. I wrote the preview for it. I thought it would be 80 to 76. 80, I got the 80 part right, but they really pulled away from Menemaki, especially when that kind of John Diebler, William Buford kind of mini run happened in the third quarter. It just seemed like they were just the better team. Yeah, when Diebler hit, I believe, what, it was two threes by him. And then William Buford was just kind of the offense in the mm-hmm. second half. Everything kind of ran through him, and if he wasn't scoring, he was kind of getting everything set up for everybody else. And uh, we can move forward with this. We can get into some of the key players, I guess. Who in your eyes really stood out to you in this game? Uh, I think you kind of said earlier, to me, I, you know, everybody – played pretty well but for me it was it was Shannon Scott and Lenzel Smith I think what they were able to do on the defensive end Lenzel Smith he is showing he just looks so honestly it looks kind of like happy to be there kind of because he's just putting in so much energy yeah. and so much and he I'm pretty sure he played the past two years on their team but he's putting in so much energy he knows his role he's not sitting here taking you know 30 foot jumpers he knows his role he's playing great defense he's hustling and it's kind of same with Shannon Scott. You mentioned he's struggling a little bit shooting the ball. But when Lighty's on, when Buford's on, when Diebler's on, I guess when Mavunga's on now, you know, you don't really need Shannon Scott to go get you 20 points. His stat line the first game was 6-6-3. Six, six, and three. Today, I believe he had 4-5-4. Four, four, and four. You know, those stat lines will be fine. They don't need him to have 20 points. Yeah. The 5-5-5, five, five, and five, that's fantastic. He had no turnovers, which is awesome. So that that's the big thing for me. Yeah, the nice little triple singles from him. Uh, Keyshawn Woods was a 2-2-2 guy, but like they're impacting the game in more ways than just scoring. And that's something that you could also say is a testament to this team is these guys know their role. They know exactly what they're good at. They've all played together at some point, whether it's in the tournament or at Ohio State. And I think that highlights exactly what makes this team great and why they're contenders routinely in this tournament. Uh, I, I think I have to give a lot of credit here to Evan Rabinow. I think he, he's a key player for me here. Uh, the question of them facing the bigs, uh, he went four or five shooting, stepped out, hit some mid-range jumpers, hit a three. It was a huge three, and I think one of the key moments of the game that kind of got the wheels turning for the offense uh, to close it out. And then he just was able to alter the shots of these guys enough. He was able to be a – a uh, big defensive guy on the low block that made these Purdue bigs work a lot. And you could see that effort really translate to how the bigs on per- men of Mackey were able to come up short during this game, I guess would be a uh, medium way to put it. But uh, I think overall this team had a really solid effort from the first guy on the roster to the last man on the roster. Uh, I think we both would love to shout out this guy. I think we're all, just falling in love once again every year in the summer. Everyone who sees Jeff Gibbs can't but help but root for him. He's a 6'2 power forward, and I think his time closing out the half was one of the biggest moments of the game. Yeah, I think the only person that might disagree with you there is Robbie Hummel. 
about loving him, but because uh, Robbie Hummel's <laughs> gonna need a nice bath after today. I mean, he, I, he he he's probably thinking like, I don't even know why I decided to do this tournament because he's been on the call the past couple of years. I think he's safer behind the booth because Jeff Gibbs was just absolutely manhandling him down low, and um, it's just it's it's insane to watch. He defies all laws of basketball. He's six two, but he's an absolute bowling ball, and he just. I mean, there was like you said, there was a time where I think maybe Dan Dockage even mentioned it. He got a hand on one of Isaac Haas' shots. It's like, how in the world do you even get up there? You know, there's seven footers that can't yeah. get up there with Isaac Haas. So it's just the effort he puts in is just unbelievable. And it's just it, it, it it's one of those things where it just spreads to the rest of the team. He's the old guy. He's the old head. You know, he's always going to be productive. I, I can't think of a game where he hurt the team negatively because he's not doing anything that he knows he can't do. He's 40 years old at this point. He knows what he can do. You know, so he's never going to yeah. step out. And, you know, he made that, I guess it was a two at the end of the half now, but it looked like a three. But he's not going to take those. You know, he's not going to take seven of those a game and go one for seven and completely, you know, he's going to take the shots he knows he can get. He's going to get down low. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to absolutely make you work for every single thing you get. And that's kind of back to our conversation about just them out depth thing, guys. They have more depth. And when you're down low, even as good as Isaac Haas is, when you're fighting against Jeff Gibbs and you're fighting against Evan Ravenel, it makes it hard. Yeah, and the thing about Jeff Gibbs is he had a few shots against Robbie Hummel, against Haas, that I just hadn't no idea how he was able to get them off so cleanly. And he's such a good shot creator on the low block that you really can't teach some of the stuff he's doing. And he's got unbelievable touch around the rim. He's a good free throw shooter. He just does every little thing a big guy has to do to score so well. And as a 6'2 person, he obviously has to be extremely fundamentally sound on that stuff. But it's just it looks effortless how he's able to move these guys around. Uh, he's able to anchor in on the defensive end. He's not just only doing it offensively and creating these weird shots, these baby hooks that he does, but Robbie Hummel couldn't move him. It was unbelievable to watch. Yeah, and I, I know Sully mentioned when he was his press conference last game, he said this about Aaron Kraft, but it, it's the same with Jeff Gibbs. He called his hustle and energy just genetic. That's what it is. You can't teach what these what Kraft and Gibbs do. It's just in their blood. And um, and like you said, I mean, Robbie Hummel, should, by all accounts, should have had his way with Jeff Gibbs. He should have had – he had 17 points, but it was a hard 17. And, I mean, he went on kind of a 10-little-point stretch of just shooting himself yeah. that really Jeff – I don't believe Jeff Gibbs is even in the game. Um, so, you know, I would like to see how many of those points he had against Jeff Gibbs because it was a hard-fought 17. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and uh, overall, I think the – the contagious energy he provides what the team gets so excited when Jeff Gibbs does anything. And that stuff, you just, that's why you need a guy like Jeff Gibbs on the team. You need the old heads who get buckets because it gets the young guys more engaged, more involved, and it makes everybody excited. Yeah. And you know, there was definitely the question of whether Jeff Gibbs or Aaron Kraft were going to play this year. And I think this team would be a lot different if those two both didn't play just because not only, I mean, yeah. obviously bringing, you know, they're good players, but what they bring just in terms of hustle and kind of inspiration for the rest of the team, it can't really be, that can't be replaced. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, overall the team over, they, they just played such a good game. I think you really can't complain. 48% shooting 38% from three. Uh, the only place you might be able to pick apart is the 67% from the free throw line. Uh, they didn't capitalize too much off turnovers, 
but they rebounded well. It was just a really good game, uh, to, like beginning to end for them outside shooting in the first half. And I, I think this is a game they could build on. The first game, it kind of felt like they were getting their legs wet. This is a game they could legitimately build on and move on in the tournament. Yeah, I think the difference between – I felt kind of after the first game they survived a little bit. Like Mid-American Unity was always right there. They were always, they were just a couple baskets away from taking leads. This game they won. They were lead, they were winning the entire yeah. time. They looked better than Mid-American – well, than um, Minamaki, whereas Mid-American Unity a little bit. I was like, all right, they just – they beat the 16th seed, thank God, because they looked a little shaky at times, the 10 turnovers in the first half, obviously, but – that none of that was a concern. I agree with you on the free throws. They need to clean that up because it's just kind of a weird thing for a team that this good of shooters, just a bad free throw shooting team. But um, I think that would be I, that might be a once off. Who knows? Yeah, I think with you being a local basketball expert here at Land Grant Holy Land, I think you might be able to help me get some more information on why any Ohio State related team struggles in the first <laughs> round of tournaments, but. I, I just think it's good. You survive, you advance, and then you start playing basketball the way you're supposed to, and that's kind of what we saw with Carmen's crew tonight. Yeah, it was definitely a lot better than um, the two versus 15. I won't even mention the names, but. <laughs> we all know what I'm talking about. I just love to bring it up because it just hurts. No, yeah, and then so oh, next, next thing on the list, uh, we had a huge upset in the tournament today. I, I think a lot of Carmen's crew fans were really looking forward for some redemption later in the bracket against the Red Scare. They fell to Category 5. How, as a spectator and fan of TBT, did that really raise your eyebrows here? That was huge. That was the second biggest upset of the tournament. You could argue maybe the biggest, but with House of Pain, I really thought House of Pain was going to be a lot better. So them losing yesterday was big. But um, Category 5, you know, not not a lot known about them. They're a Miami alumni team, obviously, but um, they never played before. So, you know, I mean, I guess this stat will make Ohio State fans feel nice. Jordan Seibert was 2 for 11. So um, maybe if he played for Perman's crew, he would have done better. But who knows? Um you know, it, it was just, it's kind of, Daryl Davis had 30 points for Red Scare. If it wasn't for that, they probably would have been blown out. Uh, Devin Oliver only shot four times. I really don't know why uh, he needs to be, should have been more aggressive. But, you know, I watched I watched that game. It just, Category 5, just, I hate to say they looked like they wanted it more because I won a million dollars on the I hate that. I think that's very overused. All these teams want it. It's a million dollars. You know, they're all going to play hard. Dan Dockage loves to say, ooh, this team's playing hard. Like, of course they are. It's a million dollars. I would play very hard for a million dollars. Um, but Category 5 did just look a little bit better. I think Red Scare might have been looking a little bit ahead because their next game would be a very tough one um, against either Blue Collar U or Zip Em Up. And I think they just got caught looking ahead a little bit and Category 5 caught them. Yeah, and, you know, those two games are happening tonight. The game, uh, the next matchup for Carmen's crew is currently on while we're recording, so we're not going to have the full information on that. But looking at the tournament, I know you and Connor are huge fans of this. Uh, the money team, uh, obviously that's related to Floyd Mayweather, and they're back with vengeance in TBT 2021, according to the website, is taking on Team Hines. If you could give us a little context on these two teams and what Carmen's crew should be looking forward to, or not looking forward to, I guess, would be a better way to put it, uh, with their next matchup. Yeah, so the money team, um, they're a very kind of spread out team. You're not going to get a star on that team. Uh, probably, if you had to point to one, Jordan Crawford is their star. But, you know, Draw Jones is a Ball State alum. He had 24 points in the first game against the region. Um, 
you know, Taylor Smith had 10 points. You got Charles Jenkins at 15. They just kind of spread the ball out. They're not a fantastic shooting team, but they were 13 for 15 from the free throw line, so they took advantage of that. Only had nine turnovers, so um, they're, they're a very fundamental team. They're a team that Carmen Screw is going to have to play a very similar game to today to beat them uh, because they will make you they will cap they will capitalize on your mistakes so they kind of got lucky against mid-american unity where they didn't do that but uh, this team is one and then team Hines is kind of a tbt staple if you watch the tbt at all you know who they are uh, kyle Hines is their guy he's kind of an overseas basketball legend uh, he's, he's normally just coaching and gming that team but he's now actually playing for the team uh, he's playing for uh, team Hines, his his team this year so uh, he's he's a little bit old. Kind of Dan Dockage mentioned it during the broadcast. They got a lot of guys who are just kind of old. They're a very old head team. Uh, Justin Burrell, if you've watched the TBT, you know who that is. He plays for Team Hines. He's an overseas elite guy, uh, overseas elite, you know, four-time TBT champions, not in the tournament this year. But Justin Burrell has played for them before. He had 10-7 and seven in their first matchup. So, you know, this is a team that, again, they're gonna they're not going to score as much as Money Team. Money Team's going to score on you. They had 86 in their first one. But Team Hines is kind of like similar to Carmen's crew. They can get hot, but they're also going to just absolutely wear you down on defense. So, um I think I think Team Hines will beat the Money Team personally. I think they'll play Team Hines, and I think that's going to be a fantastic matchup come Tuesday. Yeah, I think one thing. This is my biggest takeaway with the tournament. It feels like every year the level of basketball just kind of gets a little bit better. I think the players are starting to take it, like not to say they're not taking it seriously because it's a million dollars, but from the first tournament on, I just feel like the competitive nature. You're starting to see these natural rivalry form. And then you're starting to see these guys like this. This is huge. And you're starting to get more talent. You're starting to see teams sort of become uh, conglomerates in a way. You're starting to see players move around, which is creating also some level of rivalry in this. And I, I'm a little like Team Heinz. I'm not worried about either team. I don't think worry is the right word, but I think these are going to be extremely competitive basketball games. I think Team Heinz is. I've, I didn't get to catch – I'm going to turn this on immediately after we're done here, but I didn't catch Team Hines' first game. I, I, any team that's defensively oriented is kind of always tough, especially in these one-off situations because this might be a game where neither team can buy a bucket, then it just comes down to a couple shots at the end. And that's always something you got to be worried about in these types of tournaments. Yeah, and funny enough, Carmen Screw and Team Hines haven't faced each other, even though they've been in. They've been there from the jump, both of them. All they, I think, actually, Carmen Screw came in the second year, so seven years for them, eight for Team Hines. I believe they've been there the whole time. So, and I think going back to what you just said, maybe a good word is credit is just credibility of this TBT. They're starting. To, it doesn't feel like just like a summer basketball tournament. This feels like a professional tournament of professional guys. And I think last year, a couple of big names played, obviously Joe Johnson played and that just lends to the credibility. You know, Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade were sitting courtside at the championship that lends to his credibility. You know, when you have these big names that play in the NBA that still play in the NBA talking about it, I know LeBron has talked about it before. He talked about watching Carmen's crew last year or two years ago. Um, when William Buford was the tournament MVP. So it just led us to its credibility. And, you know, it's, it's nice to see Carmen's crew. I was actually worried they wouldn't evolve with the tournament uh, because they were fantastic, you know, in years past. But, you know, if you don't bring in new guys like they have, then you can get kind of ran over. And they did a great job of that. Uh, their additions this year have been, I think, their best additions 
in the, the whole time they played. Yeah, Mavunga and Keyshawn Woods have been huge for this team, uh, as well as who else they had? I, I'm, I'm uh, blanking Kufis on is it. New. Kufis has but, played in the tournament. Kufis, He's played yes. in DVD before, but not for Carmen's crew. He played two years ago. Forget who. Yeah. Kufis was a late yeah, ad as well, and he just kind of provides a different dimension offensively. Yeah, I just kind of forgot how talented he was, honestly, because we you know we only saw him for one year, and when he was here, I was I think I was fourteen, so I you know I just kind of forget honestly how good Costa Kufis was. And that year for Ohio State fans kind of goes under the radar because they didn't make the tournament. They, it was after it was the year after the national championship loss, so it's kind of a weird year. People, I think, just kind of forget about him, but he's a fantastic talent. Yeah. You know, like you said, late addition for Caleb Wesson, who would have been a great talent in this tournament, too. This tournament's kind of built for a guy like Caleb Wesson, um, but Costa Kufis is yeah. he's kind of a bigger Caleb Wesson. He can do everything he does, so... Yeah, I, I was surprised immediately. Like, his first game was sensational, and his talent's going to be something to to behold in the next couple games because if they play Team Hines, he's going to have some bigs where he's really going to have to body up against them and add some offensive uh, – just add some offense to the game as well. Uh, so, Justin, uh, moving on to the next game, when will we be able to see Carmen's crew play next? So, like you said – uh, team Hines is taking on uh, money team right now. They will play that winner. So that kind of lends to, I think it lends a little bit of advantage to them because just because they're going to play a little bit later, um, then they'll have less time to turn around. And then the next time we will see Carmen's crew is uh, they will play in the, I guess the Columbus final now. Yes. The Columbus final, because the winner will go to date because eight teams go to Dayton. I keep forgetting that it feels like four teams should go to Dayton, but eight teams go to Dayton. Yeah. But yeah, it's so eight teams go to Dayton um, and they will play the, uh, they will play at nine o'clock on Tuesday against, uh, like I said, either, either money team or team Hines. So it'll be interesting to see a category five. will play the winner of zip them up and blue collar you and then Ohio and then Carmen's group. That'll be a, that'll be a good that game as well. That is the game that stands out to me. I'm just so frustrated with the TBT for seeding blue collar you so low because I think they're a fantastic team. They almost almost really got me though because they had to come back against Nerd Team, which would have really killed that argument. But um, I think Zip Em Up is my team to watch. I think they're just a phenomenal team. I think they're built for this tournament, and I think now with especially Red Scare out, that will be the team Carmen's crew sees in Dayton if they were to get there. And uh, that that is going to be a very tough game. Yeah, so looking forward to it for sure. I'm excited. Carmen's crew once again making an emphatic statement with their win today against the men of Mackey. 80 to 69. Uh, let's say, uh, wh- where can we find you on social media and where can we find you on Land Grant Holy Land, Justin? Uh, yeah, you can find me. I write two pieces a week and then our, your nuts article with Connor Lamonds um, every Friday. We also do a podcast every other week called Bucketheads. We get some great guests. We've already had Joey Lane on. Uh, we're really going to start to build that guest, build that guest pool and start to bring in some great guests for basketball season. It'll be weekly when basketball season starts. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Justin underscore Golba. Yep, thanks for coming on today, Justin. Uh, let's close this thing out, guys. Next game, 9 p.m. Tuesday against the winner of the Money Team or Team Hines. Uh, once again, this is your host, Christopher Rennie. You can find me recording the Buck Off podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. And you can find me on Twitter at Chris Rennie CFB. Uh, don't forget to follow both of us. It's greatly appreciated. And thank you guys for coming for this edition of the Instant Recap Podcast of Land Grant Holy Land.